Okay, hi Anil. I'm very, very happy to see you. It's been, uh, I know, I think four years because I spoke with Barry Cleveland the other night and uh, it was January 2016 that we last met. It's been a long time, yes. The world uh, has become an intriguing place in uh, the subsequent years. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, so really, I, I, I find it interesting that you're probably one of the longest, well, acquaintances on, uh, on the internet that I've had uh, in a way, because um, I... I went. I started going to university in '93, and uh, my had my first email address probably in early '94 uh, or something, and joined a couple of uh, mailing lists. And uh, uh, there was Anil Prasad there with the uh, interviews already operational, right? Um, and like, uh, I, I don't know what the right word here is, but like. Yeah, you say and you, you, you think that you were the first to do that, right? You had like, the first had a music, uh, first music journalist with a website online, right? Yeah, I was going to say, um, I, I recall uh, an album called Taster showing up in the mail out of nowhere by, by Marcus Reuter. Um, <laughs> that time frame uh, when I think I used to have the uh, physical mailing address on the website. So yeah, I recall you getting in touch uh, very, very early on. So uh, one way or another, we've sort of been in touch for probably close to a quarter century, yes. indeed. Yes. And uh, so yes, uh, going back to what you're saying, yeah, interviews was unofficially started in '93, mm-hmm. officially launched um, in '94. It was the first online music magazine ever, um, even before MTV and Addicted to Noise. And uh, of course, you know, that's a cool thing to say. Obviously, this would have happened whether or not I had done this, but Mm -hmm. uh, it just happens to be uh, the case that I was one of the first people to be experimenting with this sort of thing. And what kind of content was it? What did you put up? Was it reviews first or did you already have interviews then? Uh, I had been writing for conventional print media for for many years prior. Um, I was based in Canada at the time. Um, I'd done work for, you know, uh, the CBC, CTV, the nefarious sun chain, tabloid chain in Canada and and others, um, kind of grooming myself to be a kind of journalist proper. Um, There was a time where, you know, I would even be sent out to cover the prime minister speaking uh, politics, um, in addition to, you know, uh, writing about music, if you can believe it, I would write about ballet mm-hmm. and review dance and, uh, stuff like that. It was, it was an interesting period. Um, the internet started to emerge in a big way. Um, it was funny. I was talking to Tony Levin about this the other day, because even he and I, I think were, uh, exchanging emails in the mid eighties when I was a teenager um, so we'd both been online for a very, very long time. Um, and so I'd kept up on kind of what was changing across what was, you know, the nascent worldwide web of the early nineties. And I just kind of took it upon myself to think, well, what would happen if I took some of these previous interviews I'd done for various magazines without even thinking about words like copyright and just mm-hmm. coding them in HTML and putting them on, on the web, just, just to see what that would be like. Um, again, just as, as a personal project. And I did. 
put up some of these early interviews, Rick Emmett, Adrian Ballou, <laughs> mm-hmm. 1989 interview with him. Um, and uh, without even uh, having any expectations, people just started finding it because there were no other <laughs> interviews <laughs> on the web at the time. And uh, there was this uh, messaging system, still exists to this day, called Usenet, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you're familiar with mm-hmm. as a, an early web guy. And people would, that was kind of the version of social sharing, right? In the early 90s, the, the horrors of Usenet, um, <laughs> where anyone can be ultra anonymous, maybe even in a way you can't be now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people spread the word about this thing. There's this guy publishing free content, interviews of people. You can just go up and read it. What a radical concept. And uh, <laughs> that, that was kind of where it started. And it just kind of grew from there. And I, I just kept posting stuff. And I finally gave it a name. And uh, then within a few years, I thought, you know, I'm a terrible designer. Maybe I should get some other people to help me uh, make this look good. <laughs> and so it went. That's, so that's so the name good. came in 94 then? The name existed in 93. It was a university project that was uh, at the time still a student at Carleton University Journalism School in Ottawa, Canada. Um, came up with that name. I actually don't remember how that name came up. I don't think it had anything to do with the Stevie Wonder Intervisions album, but mm-hmm. um, seemed like a clever uh, idea at the time, mm-hmm. and has bizarrely stuck ever since, and uh, <laughs> took on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. So um, you were in your very early twenties then when you started this venture. Indeed, I was. Yes, yeah. very young man, which I no longer am. <laughs> I think you. I think we're the same age, or very close, actually. I think. Um, so journalism school, what, what does one learn there? You learn a lot of things that I wish people knew now, now that anyone can be an author, anyone can be a journalist, anyone can write about music or interview people. Um, you learn about the mechanics, the fundamental composition of what makes a good story, what, what, what you construct uh intelligently what you leave in what you leave out um how to prepare for an interview how to research how to be ethical mm-hmm. how to work within legal constraints how to contemplate things like slander and libel and what is allowable out there without getting sued and also just you know again just being responsible about what you publish and don't publish um I think in the music journalism realm right now, such as it is, um, I think there's a lot of irresponsible kind of clickbaity behavior. I think there are times where, you know, I I would interview you and you would say some things to me that maybe you didn't intend to be on the record or might hurt someone's feelings or might damage something. Um, And so as a journalist, you have to decide on a few things. You know, is this dirt so important that you think the world needs to know about it? Is it going to damage the person that you're speaking to? Is it going to hurt their career? Is it going to hurt someone else's career? Mm -hmm. Uh, What we tend to write about kind of in the world of music and music journalism isn't necessarily world-changing stuff. You know, if you told me some gossip about some musician within the confines of an interview it's not like it's going to have global geopolitical ramifications. So, um, you know, one can intelligently parse what someone says and go, you know, I think this is valuable and useful for the world to know, and this stuff isn't. 
or this might even get me in trouble or him gossiping about this maybe legally uh, actionable in some way that sort of level of um uh you know um that that sort of level of responsibility doesn't exist in the same way at the moment. And you kind of get a lot of that out of, out of a good journalism school. Um, I'm not saying everyone, just like you don't need to learn how to read music, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it can certainly still be very helpful as a musician. (laughs) I think you don't have to go to journalism school, but it can also uh, equip you with some valuable skills. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, I don't think I ever thought about that really what what really makes a true journalist right and um the story aspect seems to be important important as you said like like kind of extracting the story or a story from an interview how how do you go about that is there is there anything you can share with us sure i mean it's funny when when people i'm in the odd situation that people review my work sometimes, which is really weird mm-hmm. um, to have happen. I mean, I, I did put out a book once and that kind of especially opened up uh, the world of reviewing the reviewer or, uh, you know, interviewing the interviewer. This is a very different thing you and I are doing because we know each other and um, you're not uh, necessarily a music journalist. So in a way you kind of are with the, all of your uh, interview series. Um, and you're already better at it than most people. Um, so uh, so I, the reason I bring that up is when people kind of talk about interviews, they go, well, wow, it's just a bunch of Q&As. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely not what it is. <laughs> uh, the, those stories are slaved over um, uh, without hyperbole, 75 to 100 hours of my life going to every piece. They're sequenced they're remixed. And when I say remix, I don't change what someone like you says, but I will change the order yeah. of the questions. I will fly pieces of uh, an interview from one part to another. So not dissimilarly to a track listing or a song sequence. Um, you want the whole thing to play out and make some kind of intelligible sense as a story and not be, you know, this, this random collection of hodgepodge stuff. And <laughs> I think, you know, also as a music journalist, it's absolutely critical to take yourself as much out of the story as you can. Not everyone agrees with me on this. Um, certainly the, the classic music journalists of the 70s and 80s, uh, whether it's the David Frickies or the Lester, I mean, Lester Bangs was a story and horror show unto himself. And he would, you know, make the stories more about him than the musicians he covered. I don't believe in that at all. I'm I'm at the polar opposite end of the spectrum where I think it should be virtually entirely about the musician. And my role for the reader's sake is almost extraneous. Mm-hmm. And if they are remembering anything I did or said, then I've done something wrong because it should be all about what you say. Yeah. However, or, you, you give it, you give it a form and you give it a shape that yeah. works and that is attractive to the listener, hopefully. Yeah, and I, in terms of the story too, I mean, the, the great thing about interviews and the, the emancipating factor of starting it in 93 was no longer having to be bound to a word count. Mm-hmm. Um, up until then, and even whatever I do that's not for the interview site now, I'm still always bound by the horrific word count or the 
editor's perspective on what something should or shouldn't be. And, you know, so much journal music journalism um, is base level, is lowest common denominator, have to tell the whole story of the musician, their influences, you know, their favorite you know, candy as a child, whatever people are trying to kind of uncover, uh, what batteries you use, you know, in your pedals. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's always kind of a dictate from from someone else. And with interviews, suddenly, I mean, it seems rote now, and it's really odd at the moment because music journalism online, despite the fact that you can create the most wonderful long-form uh, pieces now is retracting rapidly to the point where we're back to 400 to 600 word articles because people no longer have an intention span of, of any value anymore. Um, 93, 94, when it started, I realized I can have a 20,000 word article and no one can stop me <laughs> and people will still read it. And that means you can tell wonderful stories. And if an artist has an album to promote, um, you can spend the first third of the interview on that new album and project. Then you, then you have two thirds or, you know, 10 to 12,000 words where you can talk about just about anything else. That's luxurious. And that, that allows, um, it's not just about me as a journalist telling stories. It's about you as a musician, being able to say what you want, elaborate, provide detail and you yourself not be bound by a, you know, that the, the constraints, you know, when you do, I'm sure, of course, you've done many radio interviews and, you know, you have to say what you say within 60 to 180 seconds or, you know, yeah. you, you got forcibly moved on to the next topic. So probably more detail than you wanted, but this, the, the, the landscape to create stories um, uh, was truly uh, an emancipating moment yeah. when it started. Yeah, no, and I I'm actually... Yeah, I'm actually interested in the details. So, so whenever you feel like you want to say something about the details, I'm I'm happy to hear those. So the um, so basically, like the the contents, let's say, uh, that make the story are 100% by the uh, person you are interviewing, and then you turn it into um, a piece of art, let's say, um, that does not reflect you but reflects the artist and that's i just i just i just i just use the word piece of art because i think that's what it is just like any other creative uh endeavor yeah and um so i'm wondering on which level do you think does some sort of curation happen is it like the uh the selection of the artist that you feature is that like largely driven by your personal interests. Um, I know I understand that if you if you are writing to uh, some outside publication, that maybe it's not that. But like um, the the um, artists you interview on your own initiative, where does where does that come from? That that yeah, I mean the selection of musicians is entirely curated. Um, absolutely, um, <laughs> the the site is. Uh, 95% a reflection of my own musical interests. There's a few interviews on there from various, uh, you know, other magazines I wrote for that seem vaguely interesting and I put them up there anyway, but, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you could, it's probably, it would probably be a fun exercise for an interviews reader to go through that list and try and figure out who the nine or 10 mm -hmm. artists are on there that I actually have no interest in. But, um, but 
by and large, they're people I love. I, I have to be fairly, frankly, musically obsessed with an artist to 